Good morning. Our scripture readings this morning are from 2 Samuel chapter 7 and Luke chapter 1. The theme of today's service is God's promise of a king, shown to us in the covenant he made with David. So please listen for how that theme is reflected in our scripture readings. Open your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 7, and we'll be going through the entire chapter. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 245. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelled in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and pointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that, you, so that they can have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed." Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to King to David all the words of this entire revelation. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this was, were not enough in your sight. Sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant and this decree. Sovereign Lord is for a mere human what more can, I, can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself? and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods 
from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord, forever, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. Then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you, sovereign Lord. You are God. Your, sovereign, your covenant is trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Now Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38 is on page 830 of your pew Bibles. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who has said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. As we light the fourth candle of Advent, we look back on the, on the coming of Jesus and we rejoice. He is the promised Messiah, the king over all the earth. We also look forward to when he comes again to make all things new. Then all the earth will rejoice in their king and his kingdom will never end. Um, so tomorrow is Christmas morning, right kids? Woo! I'm sure the kids are looking forward to that, right? Letting your kids or letting your parents sleep in? No? Is that not what happens? All right, I know. It's opening presents. Um, are you guys good at receiving presents? I know, yeah? All right, I know that kind of sounds like, how difficult could it be? Open a present, smile, be grateful right? It's not really that hard. Now, kids, I know if you've already found your present because you've been snooping around, that might be a little bit difficult. So, same kind of thing. Act surprised, show joy, and be thankful, okay? Still kind of the same thing. Now, I'm a little bit bad at actually receiving presents. Um, you know, a few years ago, my wife bought me an air fryer, all right? A very, very large air fryer. 
You can put a whole chicken in there, potatoes, carrots, and there's still room. I was not thrilled, not because I have something wrong with receiving a kitchen gadget, but because I go, where am I supposed to put this? So it went back in the box, it went into the back hallway, waiting to be returned. One day, uh, I don't know how long later, at some point, Jose was there, he took it out, and so, you know, could I have found it on a better price? Was it on sale? You know, is this what I would have purchased if I did all the calculations? Um, you know, did you check the reviews of this board game? And the list goes on and on. Anybody else like me, don't say yes if you're like me. Receive the present with joy, okay? I'm getting much better. And my wife is very gracious with me and she keeps buying me presents. So eventually, as I said, that air fryer came out of the back hallway, came out of the box, and it's used all the time. I've told countless people to buy an air fryer. I use it every week and I need a second one, okay? So get an air fryer. But as we continue in our series today on the covenants, we're going to look at the fourth covenant and the covenant that God made with David. And uh, what we're going to see, though, in this covenant is that as David is there, and uh, just a brief history, between the last covenant and this covenant, about 650 years have taken place, okay? And so in those 650 years, a lot has happened but I'm just going to catch you up on the last little bit. Eventually, the judges came through, and the nation Israel wanted a king. And so they asked for a king. God didn't want to give them their king because he was their king. They were his people. That was supposed to be the arrangement. But they wanted a king like every other nation. They wanted to be just like them. Kids, if you want to be like all the people around you, that's trouble, all right? Now, they wanted a king. So God gave them a king, the king they wanted, Saul. And Saul became their king. But Saul did not follow God how he was supposed to. And eventually, God removed him and said, I'm going to anoint another king. And that was King David. And so David was anointed. This is who we're talking about today. God's covenant with David. David was anointed king at 15 years old, okay? But we pick up our story today around age 30. So in those other 15 years in there, David went out, slayed a giant. You remember David and Goliath, right? conquered the Philistines. He did all that for God's glory. Um, also in that time, King David, or David, served under King Saul. He was one of his men in the army leading the army, and he had great victories uh, for um, Saul. He saw Saul rise and Saul fall, the other king. At times, David ran for his life. Eventually, David was put on the throne at age 30-ish. And at that time, and where we pick up the story today in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David has just kind of conquered a whole bunch of areas, um, a lot of foreign armies that were trying to invade. He has also, one of the things that just happened, if you remember the, or the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant just before this um, was captured, not just before this, but before this, the Ark of the Covenant was captured, and that represented the covenant. That represented God's covenant and his presence to the nation Israel. So this is a big deal, right? If you've ever lost something, this is the Ark of the Covenant, the very promises of God being represented, his presence being represented. It was taken away by the Philistines. David has now recovered this. He has established a new capital city, Jerusalem. He has conquered the armies around him. And so there is momentary peace. And King David is now the king on the throne at age 30, and he is sitting there, and this is what Scripture tells us in the first three verses. It says, after the king, that's King David, was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, temporarily, 
He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, which is a nice uh, building material, Well, the ark of God remains in a tent. Because you'll remember the ark of the covenant was in a tent, and the tent was, was um, traveled with the people. It wasn't a permanent structure. But the ark of the covenant and the tent were there. And so here is David saying this. Why am I living in this palace that I've built in Jerusalem and the, tent, and the ark of God is in this tent? Nathan says, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. That's verse 3 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. David doesn't actually say I'm going to build um, a house there. Uh, it's just like, you know, you have this idea. Maybe you've had that before. Huh, I see this problem. Uh-oh, I know what that means. You're building a house, right? And so Nathan just interprets what he says as, I'm about to build a house for the Ark of the Covenant. And that's great, because maybe you've experienced this at this Christmas. What do you get for somebody that has everything, right? David's like, what am I supposed to get for God? I know, I'm going to get him a house. That seems logical, right? Um, note to self, um, as I was talking at the beginning, I'm really bad at getting presents, so if you want to help me in uh, becoming better at receiving presents, feel free, bring me presents. Houses are good as an option. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But here is David, and he says, I'm going to get a house for God. He's living in a tent, and I'm living in luxury. And this, wasn't, this was just an honest response. David loves God, right? He fought for his glory when he took on Goliath. This isn't just, oh, what can I get for you? It's just that he hasn't fully seen the relationship. And God think, or sorry, David thinks that he is going to do something for God. But what he's quickly going to see is that God is going to do something for him and that God has already, through his whole life, been doing something for him. It has been God that has acted. And so what we're going to see here is that God has promised a king. We're going to see that as this goes through. So let's see verse uh, 5. We're going to pick up at verse, uh, verse 4 of 2 Samuel chapter 7. It says, But that night... The word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, this is the, the prophet Nathan, after they had their discussion, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. To this day, I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, he was a shepherd, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And so as God meets with Nathan the prophet, Nathan the prophet is going to re relay, relay this message to David. And the, the message is that it wasn't you, David, who are on this throne, who has established Jerusalem, who has built the palace, who has returned the ark. It was me. I have done all of these things, and you thought that you were going to do something for me and get something for me, but that's not it. I have been gracious with you, and I am actually going to bless you. I am actually going to build a house 
for you, and I am going to give you a kingdom. That is what I am going to do. And part of this at the beginning, how it talks about how God traveled around with them. This is one of the things about our God, is that God didn't want to be high and lifted up away from his people. As we went through, we know that God created us, and he said that we are good, and he has wanted to dwell with his people from the beginning, right? He wants to be close with them. He chose to make his presence known in a pillar of fire and in a pillar of light. He chose to represent himself in the Ark of the Covenant. Later on, when the temple is built, the Shekinah glory, the, the glory of God fills the temple because God wants to be among us. And ultimately, we know what I'm about to say, that God took on flesh to dwell among his people, right? God wants to be with us. We don't have to do anything. He has come to us. That's what happens here. So as we look at the next couple of verses, we're going to see the promises that God made to David. And so picking it up, this is the promises of the Davidic covenant. The first one is this, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 10, as it continues on, God says, and I will make a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have their own home, can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning. So this first part is just, if you've been listening to some of our other sermons on this series of the covenants, this is just reiterating what the Abrahamic covenant said and also what the Mosaic covenant said. Just replying and responding, saying, you are going to have a land. You, as a people, are going to have this place. This is your land. So God is saying that no more will you be oppressed by wicked people. So that's the first part. The, the next part is this, in verses 12 to 13. It continues on, and it says, This is what the Lord declares to you, that the Lord himself, that's the end of verse 11, will establish a house for you, David. When your days are over, and you rest with your ancestors. So this is saying, hey David, I know you wanted to build me a house, but I came to Nathan, and I said, you're not going to build me a house. In fact, I've always been with you, and I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to do this for you. And what I'm going to do is, it's not just going to last for like your little kingdom just for this time. I am going to give you a king. So God is going to promise a king, but it's going to be an eternal one. And so he says in verse, I'll say it again, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you, David. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. We know that the offspring that was raised up after David was Solomon, Solomon's son. And as it continues on, it says, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And then verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name. David wanted to build a house. God says, no, I've been with you. And you can see um, some of the reasons why David decided, or why God said, no, David, I don't want you to build me a house, but somebody in your lineage will build me a house. And that's the temple, and it's going to be Solomon. We studied Ecclesiastes earlier this year, um, long believed to be written by Solomon, the wisest man ever. He established um, he becomes the king after David, and he is the one that ultimately builds the temple of God, okay? And he builds God's temple where then the Ark of the Covenant is gone, and it's a beautiful um, part in Scripture where the Shekinah glory fills that temple because God cares to dwell there with his people. And so here he says, I'm going to 
raise up offspring and you're gonna, he's gonna build that house. And then it continues on though, but this is where the, the promise continues to expand. In verse 13, it says, he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, you go, okay, how long are we gonna live? So this isn't just David's time. This isn't just Solomon's time. This is going to be forever. Now, forever is a really long time. You can start counting now. I'll let you know when you're done and you get there. But it's a long time. And the covenant that God is making with David is, I will establish the throne through your line forever. And then it says in verse uh, 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod um, wielded by men with floggings inflicted by humans, but my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. So God will still um, give direction and give them uh, correction is what it's saying. But then in verse 16, it says, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So here we have that God is promising to create and make a house and a kingdom that will endure forever. And so what he begins to promise in his son, King Solomon, of blessing him with his temple turns into something different. It turns into this promise of an everlasting kingdom and that there will be another son who will rule forever and build a lasting house, a house that will go on forever and ever. So God has promised a king to Jesus or to David here that's what we see and what we're going to see that in this promise of a king is that Jesus is that king okay so God has promised a king to David and Jesus is that king now God is promising a king for the generations not one or two but eternally so it's not going to be David or Solomon it's not even going to be their offspring if you know the lineage of the kings after Solomon um None of them, because they were bad kings, and eventually the kingdoms were just, uh, kings were just wiped out. But this covenant here becomes the basis of hope of a Messiah, okay? This covenant becomes the basis of a hope for a Messiah, and why the Gospels are always showing Jesus as king of the Jews, Jesus as the one that they were expecting. We see this in Matthew, where uh, right around the triumphal entry, where Jesus is entering on a donkey, and there they are, and they're waving their flags and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, as they're coming in. But this promise, the other passage that we're looking at today, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, we have an angel appearing to Mary. And in that passage where the angel of the Lord appears to Mary and tells uh, Mary that her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant, um, Gabriel the angel comes and says this. He says, greetings. Uh, this is verse 28. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In this passage that we've read, this is the fulfillment. God has promised a king, and from that time until 
from the time of the Davidic covenant until the time where Jesus is born, it's about a thousand years, okay? So God promised a king. Jesus was that king. We can see it here and in lots of other passages. But this is the, the telling of that to Mary, that you are going to have a son, that he's going to be in the line, in the lineage of David. He's going to be over the house of David and over all of Israel's descendants. Now, if you look through the New Testament, you'll see that as Jesus is teaching constantly, he's not just there doing miracles. Um, what he's doing in those miracles is he constantly is talking about what? The kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God has come. He says the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God. He says that you are part of the kingdom of God if you know that I am king. And so throughout the whole gospels, there is this not the idea, the affirmation, and everybody is saying that Jesus is king because he is setting up a kingdom where he reigns, where he rules, where you can come to him and you can trust and believe. Now, as we continue on looking at this covenant, the covenant is, the significance of this covenant is not about David, okay? David did a lot of great things, and you can read about that in First uh, and Second Samuel. Um, but this covenant is not about the person David. It's not even about Solomon. Solomon experienced, um, you know, building that temple. He experienced a great time of peace. He was a good king, wise man. It wasn't about that. The significance of this covenant isn't about David or Solomon. It's about the one who keeps the promise. It's about the giver of these good gifts. This promise and the significance of it and why we're studying it, it shows that God is faithful. It is, he is faithful and able and sovereign to fulfill the promises that he made. If you look at the history of the kings after Solomon, okay, you have Saul, eh, kind of a good king. Then you have um, David, good, Solomon, good. All the nations of Israel, all 12 tribes were together. Solomon built the temple, and for about 19 years, the temple and all of Israel was united. 19 years, that's it. And then the kingdom was divided. And you can go through the history of what happened to the kings. Northern kingdom didn't have a single good king for hundreds of years, and they went into captivity. The southern kingdom, 20 kings, eight of them were good. That means 12 of them were bad. For hundreds of years, uh, it was up and down and up and down. They weren't able to fulfill the covenant. The promise here is not in the person. The significance is in the um, one that can keep the promise, in the giver of the covenant who is able to fulfill these things. Now, has anybody here ever won a trophy? Yeah? All right. This is a trophy that I won. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is a trophy my son won, uh, Elijah, at hockey last year uh, for House League Championships and playoff championships. All right, Ted, Le Ted Reeve. Um, so he won this. But, you know, when you look at a trophy, what's the significance of the trophy? Is this trophy skilled? Is it skilled at hockey? It might be slightly more skilled than me at hockey. But this, this trophy is not skilled, right? It points to a person that achieved something great, right? A trophy points to the person who has achieved something great. When we think of the covenants, we don't highlight David. We highlight the one who gave the promise, who achieved something great. God promises a king. It's fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is 
that king. We need to focus not on the prize, but on the one that was able to fulfill it, recognizing that God is the one. God is the one that fulfilled this through Jesus. And we are called to ultimately call him our king, which brings us to the last part, is God has promised a king. Jesus is that king, so follow Jesus as your king. It's pretty simple, right? God, or sorry, David, as we look at the rest of this chapter very briefly, um, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, in verse 18, after Nathan brings the rest of this conversation that Nathan the prophet had with um, the Lord, he brings it to David. David now has a chance to respond, just like us. He had a chance to respond, and his response is incredible. He comes in, you got to remember he's king, right? And the scripture says in verse 18 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? He starts with, who am I? And before that, he sits down before the Ark of the Covenant, probably in the tent. And there he is, sitting in the tent of meeting before God. Kings don't sit. He's there, humbly before God, addressing the Lord as sovereign. He recognizes that as he was going to build a house, remember that at the beginning, I'm going to build you a house? He receives the correction from God, and he recognizes, you are right, Lord. You are the one that's sovereign. You have done everything into my life. You are the one that has brought me to this place, is what it's going to say. I just, and, and he's recognized it, but you need to recognize it. And he calls God sovereign. Sovereign is just the fact that God is able to exercise control over all that he has created. See, most kings, um, you know, if you think of a king... They have rule over their kingdom, right? Whether that's, you know, a couple of countries spread out around the world, whether it's one little country, whether it's one little area, whether it's your household. A king has dominion over a certain area. As a sovereign, that's what it means to be sovereign. You can control the area that is yours. But God is sovereign over all creation because he created all things. So when God promises a king, he fulfills that in Jesus, Jesus is our king. He is sovereign over all things. And David comes in and he says, you are right, sovereign Lord. What is my family that you have brought me this far? And if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of your house, of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for mere human. As it continues on, uh, verse 22, it just says, how great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you. And we have heard with our own ears, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own, and you, Lord, have become their God. This is David's response. He humbles himself before the Lord. He recognizes that it is the Lord that is his king. It is the one that has, he, God is the one that has brought him to this place. And so for us, as we consider this as well, what does this mean for us? What difference does it make that Jesus is the long-promised king? Well, oftentimes we think of Christianity as a lifestyle choice, right? We think of it as anything else. We're coming up onto New Year's. You have some New Year's resolutions, you know, you think, oh, 
New Year's resolutions, life hacks, things I'm going to improve. I want to drink uh, eight cups of water a day. I'm going to try to get to bed a little bit earlier. I'm going to exercise for 30 minutes a day. Uh, whatever other laughable thing you're going to do. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, make those goals. Um, Whatever lifestyle change, we think that's oftentimes what Christianity is, right? I can come to church for an hour or two every once in a while, or even every week. I can read my Bible. I can do different things. I can help people. I can do these things. Does that sound like what God was promising when he promised a king? <laughs> How would that help um, the nation Israel and David? Yeah, yeah, I'll come in and uh, I'll make sure uh, these people over here have something to drink. No, no, no. He promised them that there would be a king ruling over a whole area, that he would protect them, that he would make them great, right? And so what does this mean for us? It means that when we think of Christianity, it's not a lifestyle choice. It's about who's on the throne of our lives. We know from the very beginning, the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when God brought us into a perfect place and gave us a choice, that humanity, Adam and Eve, chose their own. They wanted to be their own kings. They thought they knew better. The reality is, me and you, we have that same choice, and we choose, always almost, by nature, to put ourselves on the throne. We're going to be taking communion shortly, and so I want you to prepare your hearts now. Prepare your hearts now to think about this. God has promised a king. Jesus is that king. Are you following Jesus as your king? If you have acknowledged that Jesus is your Lord, I want you to spend some time, even as I finish up and as we sing some songs, have you really made Jesus the king of your life? Is he on the throne? Do you allow him have reign and um, say into all areas of your life? Because if you don't and you just think, you know what, I'm going to be the king of my own life. I'm going to sit on that throne. The problem with that is this, that your dominion is very small. Your view is very small. You care about what's good for you. You care about what's good for your family. You care about this generation. You don't think about 500 years down the road or 1,000 years down the road because you can't. You don't think about the people in other countries that you don't know about because you don't know about them. If you were to think about all that, your mind would explode. You are not called to be sovereign. God is. God is sovereign, and he is able to hold all of that in his mind to control it all in providence, to work it all for his glory and his good. And he just says, come and follow me as your king. Put me on the throne. Allow me to speak into every area of your life. Allow me to do that.